Hello and welcome back to The Bunker, your daily delve into the world of news and politics. I'm Andrew Harrison. It's hard to think of a recent TV drama that's had as much impact as Mr. Bates versus the Post Office, ITV's dramatisation of the Horizon scandal. When it went out from New Year's Day, the four-part series, which has now been seen by almost 10 million people, lit an unprecedented fire of popular outrage under a public inquiry that had been largely ignored since it began in 2022. The documentary forced former Post Office CEO Paula Ventles to hand back her CBE and led to Horizon's creator Fujitsu admitting that it knew its staff were wrongly reporting system problems long before prosecutions ended. Gwyneth Hughes and James Strong's series is not the first docudrama to put a miscarriage of justice in the spotlight. You could cite Jimmy McGovern's Hillsborough or the 2017 BBC drama Three Girls about the grooming scandal or go all the way back to Cathy Come Home in 1966. But by arriving in a Britain where it seems that nothing works anymore, from the trains to education to the criminal justice system itself, Mr Bates versus the Post Office has accessed a special vein of public anger. It is properly worthwhile TV. So how does series like this get made? Especially about dusty old cases that had failed to gain traction over decades, and especially by the very commercially minded ITV. I'm joined by a man who knows his way around all this stuff. Simon Heath is CEO and Creative Director of World Productions, makers of huge programmes including Lockerbie, The Hunt for Raoul Moat and the submarine drama Vigil. He was executive producer of Line of Duty, but also on Anne, the four-part ITV drama which told the true story of Hillsborough campaigner Anne Williams with Maxine Peake in the starring role. Simon Heath, thanks for joining us in the bunker. How are you? Thank you for having me. Good to see you, Andrew. Good to see you. Now, before we get into how to get these difficult stories onto TV, let's talk about Mr Bates versus the Post Office itself. Have you ever seen a TV show have such immediate impact on the political world because this was within days of it coming out no i haven't and you know it's testimony to the quality of the drama and i think the directness of the writing and directing there's no pretension it's really trying to reach the biggest possible audience with a really important story and and the, their timing is impeccable we had a lot of frustration around Anne in having to delay transmission Rightly, obviously, because of the legal process that was ongoing with Duck and Field. But to be able to launch a drama while a public inquiry is still ongoing is just fantastic because you are able to point the audience immediately to a live political issue. And I think the two things fed on each other. Yeah. I mean, as you say, it's it's extremely direct. It has all the f- flavour and feeling of a, of a regular nine o'clock on ITV type drama. This is aimed squarely at Middle Britain, isn't it? This is this is not a a minority kind of edge of the schedule thing. No, it's got to be hard to get that in front of people. Yeah, I think um, you know. Look, there's a tradition on ITV of doing dramas based on true stories. Some of them campaigning ones like mm. Jimmy's Hillsborough or Iran. Others that, you know, shine a light on a particular issue via a true story. And, and, you know, ITV have made dramas about Bloody Sunday in the past. And I know Polly Hill, who who commissions for ITV, felt passionate from the very beginning about the post office drama. Mm. But I think, you know, internally probably had a lot of questions about would anyone watch it? Yeah. You know, is it is it a sort of is it a sort of private eye kind of topic that is is only going to appeal to a niche audience? And and she was convinced that it wasn't and, and she was correct. 
Well, the writer Gwyneth Hughes, in an interview, she said, on the eve of transmission, our boss sent us all a comforting email warning us that it probably wouldn't do that well. Well, never mind, it'll find an audience, which is television speak for nobody's ever going to watch it. (laughs) Have you ever had something like that yourself? Yes, I mean, you know, you make some things and you do them because you think it's a really important story. But there are some stories where you're not always sure whether you're going to reach a big audience or certainly not reach a big audience immediately. You know, something like Anne found its audience gradually over a period of time. And and so in your career, you're sometimes really pleasantly surprised when something, you know, achieves an audience that you hadn't quite imagined it would. Yeah. I mean, as a dramatist, when you look at something like Mr. Bates, obviously, the I felt as a viewer, my jaw was dropping because I knew this stuff. I had read the private eye stories. I'd read the previous stuff. And you know the information about the injustice, but that emotive level at which you see regular, ordinary, honest people just thrown into the mincer by a system is is emotionally enraging. Can you as a dramatist look at that and go, okay, I can see the moving parts here. I can see why that character, a real person, by the way, but why that character works dramatically and why that character fits into the, into the kind of the engine room of this thing. Yeah, I mean, I think some stories do lend themselves more readily to dramatisation. And there was something about the post office scandal that you could essentially distill it down to, you know, the little people, the sub-postmasters versus this out-of-control, faceless bureaucracy that was, was crushing them. And I think putting that on its feet and giving those words to those people who are having their livelihoods destroyed and worse creates this extraordinary empathy with the audience. I mean, there are other big political stories that are much harder to distill in Mm. quite that way. And each time you're looking for the way to give an audience access to a story. And I I would say with Anne, you know, talking with Kevin Sampson who wrote it, you know, Anne Williams was a unique individual. And by focusing on her, we could tell the story of the campaign that had sort of subsequently happened beyond Jimmy's Hillsborough and see the, the the terrible injustices that kept being visited on the families in that in that period. But at the same time, you're also recognising there was a much broader campaign yeah. that you couldn't you hadn't you hadn't got the right to tell that story. Our right was to tell Anne's story, yeah. and we hoped that everyone would would see it as being emblematic of of the wider campaign, and, and they were, which which was great. Even an amateur like me knows that you know stories can be distilled down into archetypes, and Anne is. One woman won't give up. Yeah. And Mr. Bates is, as you say, it's the it's the little people yeah. stand up. Yeah. But watching it, I thought what struck me was this is all taking place very much in ITV world. Yeah. It's always sunny. Yeah. It's never been that sunny when I've been to London. Yeah. No, you know, everything's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Everybody's always bringing each other cakes. Yeah. It's quite a sort of it's it, it's quite a middle England middle class. It's, yeah. it's quite white. There yeah. are Asian characters as an Asian sub-postmistress who was introduced into the story after it's got going. Yeah. Is that an, an element of kind of compromise with the audience in that it has to be slightly midsummered in order to, to to work in the ITV schedule? Because you've gone straight in with the Lee Castleton character, who's yeah. like a he's a Mancunian yeah. in, a, in, a, in a in a place that doesn't look like yeah. the, the idealized land. Yeah. You might not get the traction with an ITV audience. Yeah, I think that you have do you have to think about the audience you're trying to reach? I think there's a certain kind of Trojan horse element to it. Yeah. And I think a director like James, who I've worked with on a number of shows, understands how to make a story available and appealing to an audience. You know, as an analogy, he directed Broadchurch. Broadchurch mm. is about a very dark subject in many ways. 
the trick that he and Chris, the writer, pulled was to set it in a very sunny, affluent, lovely coastal environment. So yeah. the audience were drawn in and then they were hit with this darker story. And I think, you know, it's a trick that he's pulled to a degree with 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 Mr. Bates as well. And I, I always think, you know, that's one of your, you know, your duties as a programme maker to find a way of making a story accessible, not to mm. uh, to kind of push it too hard in people's faces in a way that, that they will then turn off. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm sure we've all had the same stories about friends who found themselves in tears watching it. Yes. Just because so many of these characters are, they are very like people that you know. And also that, you know, they are sort of the, the backbone of Middle, in Middle England, aren't Absolutely. they? You know, small business people just trying to make a go of it. Yeah. You mentioned that, like, uh, these kind of dramas, real-life dramas, have been kind of the backbone of ITV for a long time. They seem to have doubled down lately with, uh, you know, there was The Lost Honour of Christopher Jeffries about the guy who was uh, unjustly reported over the, I think it was the Soham murders, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. We've mentioned Hillsborough. But also things like docudramas that aren't really about miscarriages of justice, like White House Farm, about mm -hmm. the Jerry Bamba murders. Yeah. Dez with David yeah. Tennant as, as Dennis Nielsen. Yeah. How has this become so central to what ITV does? Because there was a time, kind of in the early 2000s, when ITV was very much about just shiny floor shows. It got into its own scandal about about phone competitions. Yeah. How is this kind of ITV sort of rediscovering what its purpose always was or something? I think in the end, ITV is a commercial channel and it follows the audience. So if the audience are watching things, it will make more of them. There's no question. And, and what they've they found over what the last maybe 10 years is there's a real appetite amongst the audience for true stories. Yeah. And I would say in terms of conversations I have with commissioners, one of the reasons true stories work is because they already have a degree of recognition with the audience. Yeah. So you're not tuning into something like, well, what's this? You know, a piece of fiction. I don't, I've never, you know, you know something about Dennis Nielsen. You don't know a lot. You might know a little bit about, the White House fire murders, okay, you know. So you've already got what commissioners refer to as IP yes. sitting behind the drama. So in a way, you already draw people in, you know, I'm, you know, Kevin Sampson who wrote and also wrote Hunt for Raoul Moat for us. And again, we knew that the name Raoul Moat would bring people to the drama. It did. It was, yeah. um, you know, it was the highest debuting um, audience for ITV last year. And it's then what you do with it. You know, what, what do you do with that IP? Why are you telling the story? What are you hoping, you know, beyond just, you know, a gripping narrative? What is it about the story that you're using to hopefully illustrate something a little bit bigger? Yeah, but also I think one of the functions that it performs is you may have heard of this stuff on the fringe of your on, on the fringe of your experience. You have a rough idea of something's going on with the post mm -hmm. office. Yeah. You may have you will have seen the realm yeah. um, stories. Yeah. You'll have you know Hillsborough will probably have been in the background for you for most of your life if you're kind of uh, you know under thirty five or whatever. But nobody will have drawn it together and explained it to you in one place, no. and that seems that's what these things can do so yeah. well. I think that's a really good point, and 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 often when I set out on these these journeys, you you, you occasionally you'll get a story, and it's it's a kind of unknown true story. Then that sort of runs counter to the notion that there's pre-existing IP because mm. nobody knows the character on whom this story tells the drama, but it's an extraordinary story. And as well as being an extraordinary story, it kind of speaks to a general social theme. There are other stories that are incredibly well known. So about 10 years ago, we did a two-part drama about the Great Train Robbery. Mm. But we felt that 
there were, there were aspects to that story that people just didn't know about. So when when you go to a story that's relatively familiar, yeah. like for me, the Raoul Moats, but when Kevin brought some of the research forward and we started speaking to people who were involved, I realised that the media presented a very skewed view of that case. Mm. And one of the things the drama could do was pull together the reality of what had actually happened and actually say, no, 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 this, this is the man. This is the reason this happened. Mm. And this is why we should perhaps look at this story in a slightly different way. So, you know, it, it, I mean, maybe 40 years ago, documentaries, you know, World in Action used yeah. to do this. And it seems to have now, the baton seems to have passed to, to just, drama. You've just preempted my next question, <laughs> which was, are they doing what World in Action used to do? So we are the same yeah, mind on this. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I used to sit there and watch that, you know, as a sort of teenager... I used to sit there and watch those 8.30 World in Actions and they, there was some some brilliant, brilliant work done and they used to get a really big audience. Yeah. People, you don't, don't underestimate how many people used to watch them, but it was an environment where there were effectively three moving into four channels. Mm. Now in a multi-channel environment, you know, that world of documentary is really tough. Yeah. And how you reach an audience with those documentaries and get, get them funded even, mm. you know, those guys who were making those world in actions, they were going from one to the other of those big investigative yeah. stories. And some of those investigations took months and months and months yeah. before they could come to screen. But now you can say, what if this? But it's got Toby Jones in it, yeah. you know. So one of the refrains on social media while uh, Mr. Bates was out was, okay, do Grenfell now. This is, you know, this is what television ought to be doing. Are some stories just too difficult to do? And are there kind of hurdles in the way of getting into an audience. Yeah, I think there are some stories where it, it's very hard to see how you're going to get the sort of human view of a story, which in the end is what lends itself to dramatisation. You know, documentary is very good at sort of, you know, the analogy I'd say, documentary is very much the wide shot, the drone shot. Yeah. Drama works by the human experience, the closer. Yeah. You know, and, and some stories don't quite have that. Mm. But, you know, I sort of feel at the moment, there's such a moment now for these stories that everybody's looking at, well, is there a way yeah. of doing Grenfell? And in fact, the, the BBC are, Peter Kosminski's doing a Grenfell right. as, as, as we speak. Now, I don't know whether they've actually even started shooting it yet because, you know, their process is to do a huge amount of research and speak to a lot of people before they kind of try and distill that into something that they can bring to the screen as a drama. Yeah, you'd imagine it would be absolute. I mean, it's very hard to be dispassionate about this, isn't it? Because it's human lives, and in yeah. this case, a huge death toll. Yeah. But you've got to imagine that, that has to, there must be a wealth of characters and individuals in there who would make them compelling television. Yeah, yeah. It, it's more how you, where do you put the focus? Yeah. How can you possibly stage something as horrific as that fire? Yeah. And then there's massive legal challenges because, you know, Nobody's been prosecuted. If you start to point the finger in certain places, you will have legal challenges leveled at you. So yeah. that's something with all of these dramas that we've done, and I'm sure they faced it with, with Mr. Bates as well. You've got the broadcaster's lawyers scrutinising every line of the script. Yeah. Let's talk about Anne, written by friend of the podcast, Kevin Sampson. Yes. Uh, tell us the story of the Hillsborough campaigner, Anne Williams. How did you first encounter this as a potential item of drama? Because obviously we all, you know, we've kind of lived the story of the of the Hillsborough disaster and the aftermath since 
since it happened. So going back a fair way, we'd known Kevin as a as a novelist. We'd optioned one of his novels, which he then developed as a drama. I think it was from memory, it was for Sky at the time, and that had been in the early noughties. And we'd we'd stayed in touch, and I I knew of Kevin's connection to the Hillsborough campaign. I knew he'd been there on the day. I knew he'd written about it. And then he told me that he was, um, he'd been commissioned to write a, a kind of oral history in Hillsborough Voices. And while he was doing that, I remember him calling me and saying he'd met and interviewed Anne Williams and he just thought she was extraordinary. And, you know, they'd got on very well. And he'd said, look, you know, your your story would make a brilliant drama. And, and she'd sort of laughed and said, well, that would, that would be great. And you know, they, they'd stayed in touch, but sadly, she she wasn't with us for, for mm. that much longer. And so Kevin's relationship moved to Anne's daughter, Sarah, and the conversation was ongoing. And, and what I always said to Kevin was, when he felt ready, and most importantly, when, when Sarah was comfortable with the idea, I felt that we could get Anne's story made and that it would be a follow-on piece in a way from Jim McGovern's Hillsborough, which, you know, uh, had taken the story up to its transmission, which I think was 96 from memory. And and that there was there was obviously a lot had happened since then. Yeah. And, and and so over a four-part drama, we could do, we'd obviously cover Anne's experience of the day itself and and the aftermath. And and funny enough, Anne, Anne's story hadn't been included for, for legal reasons in Jimmy's Hillsborough. So we had a, a free shot at all of that. And then it was just a question of, you know, could we find a broadcaster who was going to to back the story? And, and um, you know, being a little indiscreet, he says on a podcast, there's quite a few people. But we we, we initially developed the script with Channel 4. Mm. Uh, and they ultimately decided they, they didn't want to make it. Um, so we took the script to ITV. And it was Polly Hill, again, who commissioned Mr. Bates. And I sent her the script, and I'm pretty sure it was two days later she just called me and said, this is amazing, I want to make it. Right. And that was such a, a a brilliant vote of confidence. And then it's kind of an epic journey then because you're, you're trying to distill 20 years of story into four hours of drama. Hmm. There's a huge amount of legal challenges around Hillsborough because certain people who you want to maybe point the finger at haven't been prosecuted successfully mm. so you have you're having to navigate a lot of choppy legal waters but i think you know that as a team we 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 faced that and and we dealt with it well as somebody who's worked on entirely fictional drama in, on, at the highest level where you can do whatever the hell you like to the characters you can change them you can abuse them you can drop them into terrible situations you can totally change their arc with this kind of stuff you must have to treat the central characters like, you know, with absolute kid gloves because it actually happened. These were people's lives and deaths. At what point are you having to restrain your drama instinct? I think the key is to try and use what you've learned in fictional narrative to help shape the telling of the real story. Mm. And in doing that, I'm not saying that you, you're not trying to distort the real story, but in the ways that we talked about Mr. Bates, you're trying to find a way to make the story as accessible and immediate to the audience. So, you know, if it's finding, it's identifying what are the key 
turning points in Anne's journey across mm. those 15, 20 years? You know, what are, where are the key choices that she made? Where So you're trying to hone in on the key moments that will stand up the narrative. And in a way, you're using your drama brain to help figure that out. Mm. And what you're not doing is trying to invent completely fictional yeah. sort of, oh, well, wouldn't it be good if that happened? Or, you know, mm. there's often yeah. the thing where, you know, for instance, Anne didn't go to the original inquest. She went to Kevin's inquest, but not the overall mm -hmm. inquest. And, you know, as a dramatist, you're like, no, we need our lead character to be there. But, uh, you know, Kevin and I spoke, and it was just too big a distortion, the truth, to yeah. put it there. And actually, it works very well because it's part of her arc that at that stage, she wasn't a committed campaigner. She wasn't, you know, initially part of the family support group. Mm. And so she saw those verdicts on television. Yeah. But it was those verdicts that kind of catapulted into the campaign. What I found really moving about it was that when we first en encounter her, she's kind of beaten. Yes. She's kind of like, a, yeah. she's just alone with her grief yeah. and she doesn't know what to, do, yeah. what to do. Yeah. And you see her develop yeah. the ability to, to fight back, yeah. which I, I found yeah. really powerful. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's something that you, you, you realize, you know, and again, it's interesting to draw those comparisons with, with, with a fictional drama. In a fictional drama, you would often create, in, in a sort of miscarriage of justice story, a fictional one, a kind of Aaron Brockovich character who maybe was very strong from the beginning. Yeah. was immediately somebody who went, right, I'm going to fight this. And yeah. the audience would go, oh, hurrah. But actually, real life often throws up much more interesting characterization, and I think you get that with, yeah. with Anne herself. It's the same with Mr. Bates, isn't it? Because it's like, <laughs> what I found funny about it was they, they're, they're saying, oh, the post office has destroyed our lives, it's, it's awful, it's all over. I'm like, you live in a lovely house on the, on the, on the side of a beautiful hill in Wales. It doesn't look that bad to me. <laughs> but but, but that's, that's not the point. Yes. The point is, it's his, yeah. his honour and his sense of self exactly. that's been, that's been yeah. destroyed, and he's been yeah. effectively tarnished from the people he cares about. Yeah. And that's the real engine of yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah. And that's and that's a nuance that fictional drama pr probably wouldn't be able to deal with. You know, mm. we, we would have somebody destitute on the streets at the end of it, you know, but yeah. actually it's as emotional impact for an audience an audience to understand that for him those are the stakes. Yeah. Not destitution, but this sort of destruction of his reputation. Yeah. And part of the strength of these of these shows is that they are intensely British. They're part of the world that we've we've all lived through. Or there wouldn't be that strength of feeling to access, mm -hmm. you know. But, you know, television now seems to be so determined by the power of the streamers, which are international and transnational. It's where all the money is. It's where the talent often is drawn. And they don't make dramas like this. They, they have to make stuff that's internationally saleable. As somebody who works in this area, does that does that worry you that, that, that television is becoming increasingly international and increasingly, shall we say, like divorced from where it comes from, as it were? I think it's worth talking about a very recent development, which at the moment really probably only pertains to Disney and Netflix. But given they're two of the most prolific commissioners of drama, it's, it's worth saying this, that, that both of them now have very strong UK offices that are, are commissioning drama. And perhaps when they first opened a few years ago, they were still looking for those really big international stories. I think increasingly the brief from, you know, Netflix, the 
the phrase I use, the global is local, mm. is to say, no, 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 super serve the audience of the country in which you're based. So certainly with Netflix and with Disney, they are actually looking to commission UK stories. And in mm. fact, we've got a couple of very British true stories in development with Netflix. So that's interesting. And, and even on the sort of the kind of drama, like a Mr. Bates, a, a campaign for, you know, a campaigning drama, which you think, well, that may be, you know, it's one thing doing, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer, but it's another thing doing Mr. Bates. But but actually they have made a show called Toxic Town, which is about the, it's, it's, it's worth looking up. It's, it's, it's about the scandal that happened with the poisoning of the water in, yeah. was it around Middlesbrough or Teesside? I can't remember the exact details, but that's been written by Jack Thorne, who is known for doing these things and it's a four-part drama and it's got British talent in it. And I think what you sort of have to recognise that, you know, as with ITV, these are commercial organisations. If there's an audience out there for these shows, they will make them. So it's it's heartening to me that they recognise there's a place in in British viewing culture for these kind of shows and that they're that they're going to make them. And and you know, Disney of uh, are making a Jeff, you know, Jeff Pope who obviously does a huge amount of these dramas for ITV is doing um, a drama about the Domenezes killing um, mm. on the tube uh, for, for Disney. So, you know, there's a kind of, you know, we're, right. yes, it's, you know, maybe not Amazon, maybe not Apple, but maybe they'll change as well. Again, you know, you have to recognise they follow the audience and yes. everybody will be looking at the extraordinary numbers for Mr Bates and no, you know, lightning in a bottle and all that still... It's shown as a there's a there's an as a huge appetite if you get it right. Finally, of you know you're a, a man with a, a, a lot of knowledge of television from from over the years. What for you is the, is the is the best drama that has honed in on a story that was insufficiently known and has made a real difference with it? And you're not allowed to choose any of your own. I would say Hillsborough. Yeah, Jimmy's Hillsborough. It was extraordinary, and 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 the fact they were able to get that made. Remember, at that point, the narrative was still drunken Liverpool fans. Yeah. There still wasn't widely known how the police had behaved or that Duck and Field had, you know, ordered the gates to be opened and then lied about it. All, all of that stuff, how he fought the lawyers. I can't imagine to get that to get that made and then make it into a brilliant, brilliant piece of drama. It's, you know, I remember watching it the year I joined World Productions, um, which was 1996, and it had a really profound effect on me. I mean, look, there have been others, but that would be yeah. the one I would pick out. Yeah, I, I had to really steal myself to watch it. I, could, I couldn't watch it for years or, because, I mean, my connection with Hillsborough is very, 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 very arm's length. One of my mates was there and I was worried sick about him on the yeah, day. Yeah. That was, I, I had the tiniest, tiniest element of the fear yeah. that everybody around yeah, that, yeah. and for some people, the terrible thing, yeah. the, the terrible news they would get. And even I had to steal myself to watch it and found it a real emotional ringer. So what it must have been like if you were actually in the eye of the storm. Absolutely. Unbelievable. Yeah. Simon, yeah. thanks so much for joining us. It's been a fascinating conversation. No Thanks, Andrew. Listeners, thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of The Bunker. Don't forget, the very existence of this podcast is funded by generous listeners like yourselves. So if you can afford to back us for as little as £3 a month upwards, then please think about it. You'll get the shows early, there's no ads, and you get smart bunker mugs and t-shirts as well. There's a link in the show notes where you can find out more. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The 
Anchor Daily was written and presented by Andrew Harrison. The producer was Eliza Davis-Beard and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis and the group editor is Andrew Harrison. With music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by Jim Parrott, The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production. Thank you.